Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. This is so off topic for today's show, but I think relevant to what's happening in the culture. I just moments ago was on Instagram and just read the saddest story. And I say this yet again because women are being lied to. I just read another story of a young woman who, after multiple rounds of IVF, I think three and four rounds of IVF, she was able to have a surrogate carry her first baby and has a baby girl, praise God, who's a few years old now. But now she just went through a second round, multiple rounds, sorry, should I say, of IVF because they really wanted a sibling. And they just lost the baby at about 19, 20 weeks. And my heart's breaking because here's the deal. This was not what I planned to talk about today, but I'm just opening up and I'm seeing the mourning and the loss of this young woman who has lost her child when a consumer-focused culture, a multi-billion dollar fertility industry is promising women a false promise of a baby. After not just too much money spent, but tears spent, lives lost, because babies who are conceived through IVF are more fragile, the way the baby's conceived, the bodies, the placement, everything. And so my heart is breaking because it's not telling them the true story that we can't just have a child, boom, like that. And someone actually will be taking some of the comments next week on the show, but someone recently wrote a scathing email with regard to my comments on IVF and fertility, so-called treatment. It's not treatment. It's not a solution. It's Us trying to say, I have a right to a baby without acknowledging the damage to our bodies, the damage to the donors involved in IVF and surrogacy. So just something to think about as we're struggling with this fertility crisis. My guest a little later today is actually a fertility and infertility specialist, a NAPR physician. And while we're not talking about fertility with regard to infertility today, we will be. You hear a lot today about insulin resistance and what vitamins women do and don't need to take, but insulin resistance is a big thing. Is it just a fad in terms of a diet? Or is it something important for women to know about for their health, especially with regard to fertility, PCOS, weight loss, diabetes? All of it, it's relevant. So we're actually going to talk about insulin resistance that does impact fertility, along with technology for hormone tracking and vitamins for women that does dive into the whole area of fertility and infertility. And that's what I love about our natural physicians. They help to honor the body, respect the body, respect the body's limitations, but also respect the moral order that children are a gift. They're not a right, even when we so desperately desire to have them. So we'll unpack a little bit of those resources with Dr. Susan Caldwell a little in just a little bit here on trending. Before we do, I want to dive into an interesting story. Over the last couple of months, I've been following 
a number of people in the Hollywood scene who have commented on technology and their kids' use of technology. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about delay the use of social media and cell phones. Don't give the cell phone. Don't give the social media. And I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to the negative impact it has. Uh, For a long time, people said, oh, well, I can just take it away at night, or maybe I can just wait until they're 13, or perhaps I just trust my kid and my kid knows better. The stats are coming out. It's scathing. We even have research showing that one out of four adolescents today are not just overusing social media, but addicted. We know even the average middle schooler is spending upwards of nine or more hours on technology and social media. That doesn't even count for the increase in numbers when you have teenagers on it. And that's recreational, not for educational purposes. So here's the thing. Matthew McConaughey and... Another actress, Kate Winslet, over the last couple of months have actually commented about fears and concerns surrounding social media. I want you to listen to this because this came out just last week. Matthew McConaughey, whose son Levi has just given, been given access to a phone and social media, they made this big birthday announcement when he turned 15 recently, and they were touching on some of their fears and concerns. This is Matthew McConaughey and his wife talking here. Happy birthday, Levi Alves McConaughey. Happy birthday, buddy. Can you believe it? 15 years young. Hey, buddy. Your mom is a little nervous today. I am. I'm a little nervous. About one of the gifts we are giving you. Yes, we are allowing you, Levi, today on your 15th birthday to join the social media universe. We've been talking for a long time. We've been preparing for this, talking about it for three years now. Yes, all his friends have had it for a long time. Uh-huh. We've been holding up. He knows who he is, and he knows where he's going. I think he can handle it. Um, he's got a great story to tell and share. He sure does. I want to let all y'all know you're getting a very cool and respectful young man, Levi McConaughey, coming at you. And I hope y'all can do your best to treat him the same way. Um, Levi, enjoy the adventure. Enjoy sharing your story, uh, expressing yourself, and and what you put out there and the exchange you get with people out there. Um, we love you. Happy love birthday. You, Happy birthday. Check him out. Go check him out. <laughs> That's actor Matthew McConaughey and his wife, model Camilla Owls, who they're sharing this kind of a big announcement about their son joining social media. He wasn't allowed to until he was 15. And Matthew McConaughey comments that his wife is pretty nervous and worried. You can tell even just with her reaction, she's a little uncomfortable with it. And I'm going to guess even uncomfortable with what they just did. They just made a public social media announcement that you, the strangers out there, the world should follow their 15-year-old son on social media. This is a publicity stunt. This is 100,000% a publicity stunt because it's not just saying, here, honey, you can start using social media. It's called, here, let me tell the world you're on social media now and go follow my kid. And so why is a mom hesitant? I think all parents know the danger of social media today, whether you choose to do about something about it or not, or whether you choose to fully be aware of what is actually happening. But here's also what's interesting. They make a big deal, that is Matthew McConaughey, as if their son Levi, their 15-year-old son, has something special to share with the world. Every single person is special, unique, and unrepeatable. But that doesn't mean that every single person needs to share their story. 
I don't need to share my story. I can, but I don't need to. There's plenty that I shouldn't share and don't want to share that's private. And yet they're sharing with their 15-year-old son, here, go share your story with the world because you're that wonderful that everyone should follow you, pay attention to you, and like you. And oh, by the way, please make sure you're nice to my 15-year-old son who's on social media now. That's the message they just shared, which again is one of, in a certain respect, for a lack of better words, I'm trying to think of nicer words, they're pimping out their son. That's the truth of the matter. They're looking for popularity for their kid. Whether they just want to see that he's popular and everyone follows him, or whether it's just your plan and hope that he has social media and people like him and he feels good about it. So let me tell everyone to go follow him. Now, I was actually just talking to my mom because we've been following the story, and Levi's got all these very professional-looking social media posts up there. It doesn't even look like he, as a 15-year-old kid, is actually even posting. Why? why you could talk about his surfing and everything that's going on there but at the end of the day it goes to the heart of the crisis with regard to social media now this is also followed on the heels of a story i followed a couple months ago and that's actress british actress kate winslet who actually won an award there in britain for leading actress in a mini series known as i am ruth and it chronicles a relationship between child and mom as the child's dealing with mental health pressure surrounding the social media world today. It's actually really neat because Kate Winslet's own daughter plays in this miniseries. I've not seen it, but I thought it was neat that she received an award for it. Now, when Kate Winslet received the award, she actually goes in and starts to share as to why she and her daughter and other people got behind this award-winning project. Listen to this. I Am Ruth was made for parents and their children, for families who feel that they are held hostage by the perils of the online world, for parents who wish they could still communicate with their teenagers, but who no longer can, and for young people who have become addicted to social media and its darker sides. This does not need to be your life. To people in power and to people who can make change, please criminalize harmful content, Please eradicate harmful content. We don't want it. We want our children back. We don't want to lie awake terrified for our children's mental health. And to any young person who might be listening, who feels that they are trapped in an unhealthy world, please ask for help. There is no shame in admitting that you need support. It will be there, just ask for it. Thank you so much. That's Kate Winslet, the actress, receiving a leading actress award in Britain for the miniseries chronicling this relationship between mother and child over online technology and media addiction. This is the bottom line. It's not just us common folk who are having a difficult time with children misbehaving and having issues with technology. It's people... In Hollywood, it's people with next to no money, middle of the ground, people with more money. It's interesting because my husband worked in Silicon Valley for a couple of years. And something we knew, but also saw very much so firsthand when he was working up there, was that all the people in Silicon Valley who have kids send their kids to schools with no technology, even all the way through high school. All of these parents are not giving their kids 
technology. They're not giving them cell phones. Why? Because they know the design of the technology is for the purpose to appeal and to lead to addictive, compulsive, impulsive behavior. And so they don't give it to their kids. And the woke people in Hollywood know this and they're seeing it firsthand with the damage that it's doing to their own children. And so and I, when I see these stories, my hope is to you to understand something really, really important. It is and it will continue to become more mainstream to not give kids cell phones and to not allow kids to be on social media. I know you as a parent or your kid might feel like it's a minority. I think there's a silent trend occurring because why draw attention to it if you don't have to? If you're trying to prevent a behavioral issue or fix a behavioral issue, we're not all out there <laughs> flaunting our dirty laundry or embarrassing our children saying, hey, they don't get to use technology or media. It's interesting because my mom was over today and she was hanging out with my with my kids and my six-month-old was enamored every time she caught a glimpse of the little iWatch screen on her iWatch. And all she wanted to do was look at that little iWatch screen and follow it around. And it's true. The technology is not built for children. It, what's scary is that it is built to draw children in, but it's not built for children. It's not human-centered for the sake of edifying, glorifying, and raising up children. Yet children are being raised on technology today. So I want to mention to you a resource that I think is fantastic to help you answer a lot of technological concerns and crises surrounding yourself. Because let's be honest, I struggle too with my tech usage. That's why I've shared many times before that I started, I think it was in 2016 or 17, the black and white challenge, which is where you t take your phone screen and put it on 100% black and white because you no longer have the neurotransmitters and the synapses between the brain reacting as significantly to your need for dopamine and the stimulation from all the notifications. I have no notifications on my phone and I even keep my phone on silent most of the time. When I say no notifications, of course, my phone can ring and even send me a notification that I receive a text. But if I'm on my phone and, for example, I'm maybe checking my email or looking at my calendar. If a text message comes through, my ringer's on, I'll hear the ping. But if my ringer's not on, the text message won't pop up on my screen. Not even a notification. Why is that important for me? Because task saturation, distraction, I get distracted. I need to be able to go and check my phone when I check it and not be perpetually drawn in by my phone. I, as an adult, recognize this is important. And so ScreenStrong.com is helping us to understand with sound scientific data how to navigate technology with your kids. And the bottom line is that their methodology is delay. Don't give your kids phones. Don't give your kids social media at all. Now, if you give a phone, give something like a Gab phone or one of the light phones, a Gab phone, and we'll post the link to Gab phones online. It's a talk, a talk text only phone that you can use. So that's a great resource, but I think this is a silent trend. You're not in the minority. It's a growing number of people, and it will become the majority of people who don't want and won't let their kids use technology the way that has been the norm of late. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me today on Trending is Dr. Susan Caldwell. Dr. Caldwell is a NAPRO doctor who specializes in women's health, fertility, and infertility in particular, and we are going to unpack 
a topic that you hear a lot about, and that is insulin resistance. You may just think it's a fad diet. It seems like a buzzword today, but it has a lot to do with fertility, weight loss, diabetes, PCOS, and women's cycles. Dr. Caldwell, can you talk to me about what insulin resistance is and why it's so popular right now? Yes, um, we have you know, over the past few decades, our food has changed. The way we manufacture food, the food pyramid um, that we that that was um, derived by the government um, it, back in the '80s told us that we should have the majority of our calories through grains um, and uh, you know rice and bread and things like that. And so we've gotten to a point that we are. We have so many carbs available to us that our bodies just genetically are not able to handle the amount of carbs that we are eating. And so for that reason, um, it's making us sick. And so what happens when we are um, eating anything that turns into sugar, so rice, bread, pasta, potatoes, um, these foods, a lot of fast foods, you know, French fries and cereals and orange juice and things like that. It stimulates the pancreas gland to make insulin. Um, and then when we're, when we're making a ton of insulin, it just stops working well. Insulin's job is to take glucose out of the blood and, if you will, open the door and put it into our cells. Um, but when we are over um, o- overeating or drinking our capacity for glucose, insulin just doesn't, it, it just can't do its job as well anymore. Um, and so we start to see one of the major symptoms of insulin resistance is, um, is obesity. Um, and and you know, as you know, we have an obesity mm-hmm. epidemic, um, but, right. but infertility is one of those symptoms as well. Um, and that can be tested by a, by a fasting insulin test um, in women, um, but it messes up our cycles when we're taking in more carbs than we genetically, you know, are, are, are designed to take, to take in. And that really varies from person to person, but people who have diabetes in their family or obesity in their family for sure know um, that they're, they're probably genetically, um, you know, incapable of eating as many carbs as maybe they might want to, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And this is hard because as you're talking about it, it ties it with everything into the stupid upside down food pyramid to just yeah. the fast food and the food culture we live in. I know some people, even in the medical profession, who live by the food pyramid. And it's sad. I, I That's a whole other topic in and of itself. But this insulin resistance, Dr. Caldwell, is leading to a number of health issues. You mentioned diabetes and infertility, to name just a couple. I think the big question is, what do we do about it? Because people are struggling with weight Mm -hmm. and fertility. Infertility issues aren't going anywhere. Even just moments before I started the show today, another very heartbreaking story was shared with me of a young woman who just tried to have her second set of children via IVF and had a miscarriage. And I'm Mm. so sick of culture saying you can have a baby on your terms it doesn't matter what you eat or if you freeze your eggs or whatever happens yet the whole topic of what Mm -hmm. we eat really does matter with regard to fertility and just Mm -hmm. day-to-day health so how does insulin need to be monitored for most women Mm -hmm. today 
So what we need to do is we need to learn about food. We need to learn, you know, each time, anything we eat, we just need to be mindful about our, about mindful and educated, those two things. Um, learn, you know, what is sugar? What is a carb? You know, what's a protein? What's a fat? You know, these things really we don't learn in school. I didn't even learn in medical school. I had very little nutrition education, but we have a a gift in a person, you know, kind of an influencer now on the internet um, who I appreciate. She goes by that name of glucose goddess. She is a French biochemist who is doing a great job educating so many people on Instagram. She has books and she has, you know, different email lists and, and different ways that she reaches people. But man, um, she is really teaching people. So if you're somebody who wants to learn but doesn't really want to go take a class, um, you may look her up on social media, Glucose Goddess, and she does a great job of showing, you know, how the, the food we eat, in, in other words, the let's say a plate, you might have um, a carb, like a potato, a, a chicken, and broccoli. She, she really un- helps us learn that even the order in which we eat that meal w- will affect our glucose spike in our blood and then how that affects our metabolism. So, for example, she'll educate people and say, hey, eat your broccoli first then your chicken and last your potatoes. And even that little switch up and she has hacks, you know, I call them hacks, uh, drinking some uh, diluted apple cider vinegar before your meal, taking a little walk after the meal, eating um, a, a savory breakfast instead of, you know, a bagel and an orange juice. All of these things are little ways without a lot of effort and a lot of education, um, just learning kind of the, how our body handles glucose, we can make some big changes in our health. I think just that one step. And then also Dr. Mark Hyman, H-Y-M-A-N, um, does a great job um, on social media podcasts um, of, of teaching people like, how do we tell what food, you know, what food is maybe um, healing us and what foods are maybe harmful to us? We don't want to demonize food. You know, food is not the problem, uh, but we do need to have a, a, a type of relationship with food that is kind of ordering us towards health. And, and in our country, we just don't we don't have that now. So we, we need to change that. I love what you said concretely about how when you're looking at your plate, even the order of what you're eating is actually impacting insulin. And when I have a French fry or a potato on my plate, I'm like any other person. I'm going to go for that first, <laughs> probably fill myself up maybe somewhat uncomfortably before I start reaching frozies. I know better, right? So it's a matter of using our brains and where we're eating to eat smartly. You don't have to do away with the potato necessarily. But as you said, mm-hmm. eating the veggie, the meat, and then the potato I know I've shared it before. I have a lot of food allergies and food restrictions and even things I'm not allergic to, such as potatoes. If I'm eating too much of them, like, I just feel awful and I have to go long periods not eating them. And so when you're looking at your plate, someone recently said to me, when you look at your plate, 75% of your plate should be vegetables and having good, healthy mm-hmm. fats on that. I think it's very helpful in terms of how we're looking at our plate. I love where you mentioned savory breakfasts and walking after meals because that helps with the digestion. Can you explain briefly why after, why walking after a meal helps with insulin resistance? So our um, our muscles um, burn burn energy, right? Food is energy when you think about it, right? And so 
we're giving that glu- we just took in a glucose load probably and you know, a lot of energy through glucose and through other so glucose is kind of a quick acting energy and and fat and protein takes longer to to kind of burn but um but when you get those muscles working right after a meal you're inviting your body to kind of use that glucose um quickly and yeah and to just not store it as fat. Even if like, let's say you like to watch TV after dinner, even um, just kind of, you know, doing some leg stretches, leg lifts, you know, just kind of, kind of maybe up and down with the legs, you know, that would help because those legs are just these really big muscles. You know, you don't want to do anything that's going to make you sick, of course, Um, anything too intense. But what we typically do is we eat late, we eat a lot, and then we go lay down. Mm. Um, and that's just what that's doing is you're just telling your body to store all of that energy as fat. <laughs> you're, and it, that's just not the message yeah. we want to give our bodies. I remember when I was a teenager, I actually learned that that's how sumo wrestlers build up their size. They actually eat and then just go to sleep and they do it again. They eat a lot and go to sleep. Uh, but I think something interesting I found out recently and kind of a something to unpack, too, is I learned that different people respond differently. So for some people eating a potato, they might do fine eating that might not impact their insulin. But for another person, it could be worse. But also some vegetables for certain people can impact their glucose and insulin differently. So knowing your body, getting to know it a little bit better, we posted links to some of these great resources that you've mentioned, Dr. Caldwell, especially the glucose goddess. She's got a fantastic book out and some other great resources linked at relevantradio.com forward slash trending in the episode notes later today or on social media. Just follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I'll be right back with Dr. Caldwell here on Trending. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Dr. Susan Caldwell joins me today on Trending. She specializes in NAPRO technology, helping women to touch on and address the underlying health issues impacting their fertility and women's health issues, especially things such as endometriosis and PCOS. I get it, thyroid issues and others. Now, she's a NAPRO physician. There are many across the country. And if you are interested in finding a NAPRO technician physician near you, we are posting links on social media as well as in the episode notes whether for telemedicine or for finding someone in person near you. I actually receive questions all the time. Help me find someone nearby. We have the links and resources in the episode note. So I hope you will check those out, whether you're trying to get off birth control, find other solutions other than birth control, because it's not a solution, but that's what mainstream medical physicians tend to prescribe. So those are some great resources, Dr. Caldwell, because people are always asking, how can I see her? I love her. Uh, She practices in the state of Louisiana and does not practice online. So you'd have to see her in person if you are in the area, but otherwise there are great NAPRO doctors near you. And if you want to check out her work, though, she does write some great articles online. You can find her at drsusancaldwell.com. That's drsusancaldwell.com. Dr. Caldwell, Another topic that I love to talk about has to do with nutrition surrounding vitamins, especially for women impacting not just having babies now, if you're pregnant, if you're postpartum. But I remember I was startled when someone told me before I had kids, you should start taking prenatal vitamins, to which as 
uh, someone who wasn't even you know, thinking in that way yet, I was a little surprised. Why should most women be taking prenatal vitamins and who should be taking them? Well, yeah, so women should be taking vitamins really, you know, in, in their teenage years because our, as we talked about before, our food is not really, most of us don't really eat enough vegetables and <laughs> meat and, you know, things like that. We just, our food, we just don't eat great, our diet. So um, taking a prenatal um, definitely around, maybe not in high school, maybe a kind of a multi in high, multivitamin in high school with iron for women. But certainly when a woman kind of is just, is dating or discerning seriously, like we have a wedding date, okay, that's when you start a prenatal. I don't even care if you're going to wait a, a year before you have a baby. Start the prenatal vitamin because, um, you know, having cycles and having periods is extremely expensive energetically and nutritionally. Every time you have a healthy period, um, it, it, it drains you of nutrients and resources because remember that lining every month is full of blood vessels and nutrients and iron and things that we lose every month. So we want to stay replete with all of those vitamins. And when women don't, you know, we see a lot of women who struggle with maybe headaches around the time of their period or a lot of mood problems or you know, during the period. That is often a sign that the body is in need of something during the period when there are a lot of, lot of symptoms. So it, it, really any woman who's having trouble with their periods, um, really should be on a good multivitamin or prenatal, um, especially. And a prenatal is going to be important because it's going to have um, the, a, a very important B vitamin called folate in it. Um, but we can talk. I don't know if you want to talk about that now or lead yes. up to that. Yeah, let's talk about it. And if you're just joining yeah. us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Dr. Susan Caldwell. Dr. Caldwell, talk to us about folate, but also if you can make some recommendations for brands because... It's hard to work your way through brands today. So many different vitamins oh, mm -hmm. are synthetic today, so they don't actually assimilate yes. with the body well. So what is yes. maybe your go-to or couple of options that people can look at? Yes, yes. And, and we want to speak specifically about the B vitamins and prenatal vitamins um, because it is very cheap to make uh, vitamins with synthetic B vitamins. Um, specifically, we want to look for the word methylfolate and not use the, the word folic acid. And we want to use the word methylcobalamin, which is B12, instead of um, B12 or cobalamin. So methyl is a really important word because what that is, is that's the bio, the optimal, the optimally usable, if you will, uh, form of the, that, those vitamins, whereas the synthetic um, cobalamin or folic acid has to go through a number, you know, our, our body has to change those um, synthetic versions of the vitamins. It has to go through a lot of energy and uh, use a lot of uh, work to get it to that optimal form. And someone like me, for example, I've got something called an MTHFR mutation, um, which is a very common uh, mutation that, that can cause when women have this, it can cause miscarriage and infertility. So if, so all the, you know, the time I was 
infertile, you know, I had to go through IVF to get pregnant. You know, nobody's ever tested me for that. Nobody told me to be on, um, you know, methylfolate. And that could have made a really um, big difference in my, in my reproductive life. So we definitely want to go for the, the better form. So the, the brands that I recommend, um, especially if so anyone has had a, a, a miscarriage, I would use um, something like Thorn, Thorn prenatal, um, T-H-O-R-N-E, prenatal, I believe it's four pills a day. So it kind of That's is not too lot. bad. Yeah. It's better than some of the others, a, though. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. Um, I, I see some of the packets. Miscarriage, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, but yeah, I was yeah, just going to say some of the packets, especially if you're pregnant trying to take prenatals, is so difficult. So four pills a day in comparison to some of the uh, multi-packs oh, for prenatals. I think that's better than most. Yes. And another one is um, Mama Bird. That's a good one. Um, Smarty Pants brand um, is, is a good brand, although I'm not a huge fan of all the sugar in the gummies, but they do make a capsule. And then okay. Ritual is a good one, but it's, it's, it's not, there's not a lot in Ritual. It's just one capsule and it's just not a lot. But we have to work with people because some people don't like pills and it, it's, it's hard to get people to take their pills. <laughs> it is. It's so difficult. I am someone who is an avid vitamin consumer and it's challenging. You have to build the habit. And I think that some people say, I just won't do it. I don't do it. Just work on the habit. This is kind of a joke. I was just talking to someone today. I need to be on top of taking everything for my thyroid and whatnot because we do all supplementation, no medication for it. And praise God, it's been a great treatment. Um, but in order to stay organized, I feel like a very old sick person, even though I'm not, because mm-hmm. I end up getting a pill box. And it just helps me to organize them for the week, have it on the go, and makes it much easier to remember. <laughs> yes. So something you mentioned, and I think this is significant. I want to tie it in for just a moment here. You shared your testimony here before. You are Catholic, yet you had a long journey back into your faith and where you're at. You struggled with infertility, and you did go through rounds of in vitro fertilization, known as IVF. And you shared your story, why you would never recommend IVF to anyone. And we've touched on the moral implications of it, how abortion can be a part of the process, many other parts. But you mentioned that no one ever tested you, Dr. Caldwell, for things such as this. If someone's struggling with fertility, what are some of those things that a multivitamin can impact that perhaps should be tested and looked at as well with regard to fertility? Well, you know, we're, we're also kind of set up in a system where, you know, our insurance system doesn't really pay, most people's insurance doesn't pay for extensive vitamin testing. So that's unfortunate. So I'm kind of hesitant to say, oh, everyone should be tested for all these things because it can really add up to be a lot, cost a lot of money. But you know, I think everyone should, should be on a, a prenatal vitamin or a multivitamin that's methylated. And every woman from her first period to her last should be on some sort of an iron supplement. And I also recommend a vitamin D supplement. If that, especially if that can't be tested. And then, like you said, a, a, a diet rich in lots and lots of fruits and vegetables. And then, and this, this is all hard stuff, right? Because it, it, it's not always fun to take care of yourself, <laughs> but we really must get into those habits. Um, but if, but if a woman certainly has infertility or recurrent miscarriages, then, you know, 
if she can't find a doctor willing to order all these tests or, or kind of let her, you know, know, should she be on an aspirin? You know, I recommend women with, with recurrent miscarriages should be on an aspirin because of undiagnosed blood clotting disorders. But, but, you know, someone may want to go through a functional medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of NAPRO doctors um, know about functional medicine, but a lot of times we don't have time to continue to have multiple certifications and degrees. Um, and so, Functional medicine is another kind of way that, that, that vitamins can be tested, nutritional deficiencies, uh, uh, mineral like toxicities, lead and mercury, things like that, 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 that you might not get that from your OB or even a mm-hmm. NAPRO doctor. But if you're, not, if you're feeling really bad and no one can give you an answer, often functional medicine providers can really be a huge um, service to us. And I don't know about you, but my story is a testament to that. I have always seen a functional medicine doctor, uh, a NMD, a naturopathic medical doctor, alongside my NAPRO physician surrounding pregnancy and Mm -hmm. fertility. And they've been a huge help. And one of the challenges I find is that sometimes, you know, when you have your primary care physician, your NAPRO doctor, some are friendly toward the idea of you seeing a functional medicine doctor and some are not. Can you talk a little bit, Dr. Caldwell, to... You know, encouraging people, you know, patients to take ownership of their medical care yeah. and not to be afraid. You know, we love, we respect, we honor doctors, but at the same time, we need to know it's okay mm-hmm. to get other opinions and to see, you know, you even mm-hmm. commented you didn't have nutrition in medical school. You know, and this no. is something that was self-taught outside of it. If you could talk a little bit to people yeah. navigating those waters when maybe they're being discouraged from seeing someone else as mm-hmm. you are recommending. Yeah, so let's let's just kind of imagine our health on a spectrum from, you know, on one side, optimal health and functionality of our body and thriving. And on the other spectrum, you know, kind of life threatening diseases. So what people need to know is that most medical doctors were really trained around that other end of the spectrum. In other words, how do we, we keep people from, you know, falling off the cliff, if you will, on that end of that disease end, right? How do we save someone's life when they come to the emergency room? How do we cut out that appendix when it's, when it's ruptured? Or how do we, you know, save people? That's really where we've been taught. You have to realize that when you go to, you know, say an endocrinologist, for example, who is a specialist in hormones, you know, and you tell them, you know, I feel like my cortisol might be high or I might have Hashimoto's or I'm, I'm gaining weight. You know, they, you would expect an endocrinologist to, to take that seriously and, you know, act on that and test for those things. But they will literally laugh at you if you say right. that to yes. them. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, but, but we don't want to demonize them because they have been taught how to save people's lives. So when, when you're someone who's trying to, um, a woman who's trying to get pregnant and have optimal health and find out what vitamin deficiencies and food intolerances, you, you just gonna, you're going to have to find a doctor who's more comfortable on that other side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Those people, and I, I try to be that way, but again, I live in the medical model. That's where I practice. So I'm kind of straddling you know, both sides. But if a functional medicine doctor is going to say, oh, uh, uh-uh, we are not happy if you do not understand how your body works, 
what kind of diet you need to be on. Mm-hmm. You know, are you inflamed? Is your gut, what's your gut like? You know, do you, do you need probiotics? You know, all of those little tiny things that really, if, if they're not addressed, then the person will end up on the other side of the disease spectrum. So, but this involves, no one's going to kind of hold your hand mm-hmm. and, you know, and tell you this. So I'm, I'm kind of saying it, but we need to take ownership and say, oh, okay, well, let me find out. Let me teach my, you know, learn. There's so many experts out there. You know, how do I eat an optimal diet for me? And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you, you might have to be a little creative in that. Yes. Um, but, but now this time of this age we're living in, social media, there's books and podcasts and all kinds of ways to empower your, yourself to learn more. And Dr. Goldwell, I'm so grateful that you touch on all areas of health and that you're not just focusing only in your lane of what you know, but also you're diving to know more and you're encouraging these other aspects from functional medicine to nutrition because we're a whole picture as human beings. And I think for so long we have been duped by just the culture with regard to the food pyramid to everything from mainstream ideas surrounding medicine and birth control. And so you're helping to guide us through these challenging experiences of just being healthy, staying healthy, navigating everything as we were talking about earlier, if you missed it, insulin resistance. It's not just a fad. It actually impacts fertility, diabetes, weight, PCOS, you name it. So these are all fantastic resources. We've listed some of these. I know you mentioned a couple of doctors like Dr. Mark Hyman for great information. Uh, We'll also link to that great book from Glucose Goddess that you mentioned earlier as well. And we also found all the links to these great, great prenatal vitamins you've mentioned from Thorn, Mama Bird. And I know there was one other that we included in the episode notes. So please check out these resources. Dr. Caldwell, you are helping so many women. And I just want to say thank you because we're looking for answers in You care enough to say, hey, here are the resources. This is where you need to go. Our fertility matters, and we need to tell our friends and family. So, Dr. Caldwell, thank you for everything. If you want to learn more about her articles or see a doctor like her, she practices in the state of Louisiana. Uh, We are posting links to other fertility care practitioners who practice NAPRO technology, as she does. Fertilitycare.org is that resource, but we'll post that on social media as well. We'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I was just talking to my producer about how and why I don't babysit. Well, I'm just not a big fan of children apart from my own. I've shared this before. And I know some people always go, oh, that's awful, Timory. No, I love kids. But that doesn't mean necessarily I like poorly behaved kids or want to spend too much time around them at times but I don't babysit so this is my fun and funny story so I do have three younger siblings and I always helped with my siblings including diapers but I babysat one time ever and I hired my younger sister paid her five bucks and that she would change all the diapers and take the toddler to the bathroom the whole time it was great I really like the family it's the only reason I said yes and my sister took care of all the dirty work poor thing those things older siblings do to their younger siblings but i've also said to my sister sister-in-laws and everyone and brother-in-laws i will not uh, take your kid until they are fully potty trained and can take themselves to the bathroom so 
Anyway, yep, that's mine. If you're one of those, power to you. I know some people, they think that's cruel, but I know my limitations. I just can't do it. <laughs> you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Well, here we go talking about theology of the body and being a gift of self as I share with you that I can't and won't change people's diapers. We're walking through our series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and we've been unpacking in particular the understanding of the spousal meaning of the body and this idea of the gift of self. We spoke the other day about what Pope St. John Paul II calls the hermeneutic of gift. That is the interpretation of understanding ourselves, our human anthropology, and unpacking Genesis chapters 1 and 2 in terms of the fact that we are made to be a gift. Now, how do we understand this? Pope St. John Paul II points to the first privation or lack of good, as he calls it, ever mentioned in sacred scripture in Genesis chapter 2. And that's when God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I want to make him a help, a compliment, a helpmate similar to himself. And so this is the example where we see there was something wrong, that there was a privation, there was a need, that the human person in his or her essence wasn't fully complete in terms of how the person functioned. And so what we learned is that other human beings are necessary, especially in that dynamic between man and woman, as God shows us in Genesis chapter 2. Relationships are, as Pope St. John Paul II, he says, the basic condition that make possible to exist. So he says relationships are the basic conditions that make it possible to exist as a reciprocal gift. So relationships are necessary for us to not just understand that our life is a gift, but that we are meant to be a gift given to others, and that this is discovered through relationships. If you think about it on a very practical level, we receive our life from God, but also from our parents, from the loving act of intimacy and the fruitful giving, the sacrifice of the mother and carrying her child, the sacrifice of nurturing and nursing and raising, uh, the, the denial of self, all of that that goes into giving a new life. And that child is meant to be filled up with unconditional love, with needs. I don't remember what it was, but I remember when I was doing my parenting, new parent class, they said a baby's need in those first handful of months need to, needs to be met X so many thousands of times before the baby knows and has a certain level of affirmation that it will be okay. And this is part of the reason why a baby screams because the baby doesn't know that it can survive and be okay, that someone will come to his or her rescue or meet the baby's needs. And so these fundamental elements of self-understanding and concepts occur in infancy. It's really incredible. If we, it would be neat to look at Theology of the Body side by side with childhood development. I'll have to do that maybe as we work through this series later on. But the basic conditions, as Pope St. John Paul II says, for making it possible to be a gift of self is having other human beings. It's through relationships. And this is how we discover the essence of the person. This is the only way Pope St. John Paul II says that the essence of who we are as human beings can be realized, can be understood. He says it's by existing with someone, by existing for someone. That's significant. We can only understand our essence, fully realize 
who and what we are and come to a level of joy, not just momentary giddy happiness, but actual joy, as he says, by existing with someone and by existing for someone. And this is where we start to dive into what we'll see play out in Theology of the Body of Trinitarian theology, understanding that God himself, whose image and likeness you and I are made in, is a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's a giving and receiving that occurs between the three persons of the Trinity. This is why we see that image of Christ on the cross, the communion of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as models for how we ourselves are meant to learn how to be a gift of self. So I mentioned, why do we make the sign of the cross and say the Trinitarian format at the same time? Because it reminds us that the Trinity is a communion of persons giving and receiving and that we are meant to ultimately give ourselves as Christ did on the cross. But first we have to receive in order to do that. Be able To be able to give, we have to receive. And I think what's significant about this is there has to be proper order in relationships in order for there to be proper communion and proper development. To be able to receive, you have to be able to understand that the order is necessary. We received our lives from God the Creator. He's the Creator. We are the creature. There's order in relationships, even order in terms of marriage and the hierarchy in marriage of the husband is the head of the home while the woman is the heart, Cassie Kanubi. The encyclical discusses that. And this is what allows for human beings to flourish in their relationships. And so what we're talking about really is this complementarity of the human person, that the gift of self is lived out in many respects through the spousal meaning of the body. This is why it was transformative and awe-inspiring for Adam in the Garden of Eden to see Eve, the woman before him. Pope St. John Paul II actually says that the body expresses femininity for masculinity and vice versa, masculinity for femininity. One way to be aware of the gift of self is through understanding that sexual complementarity. Now, something Pope St. John Paul II emphasizes as well is that in order for us to become a gift of self, we have to understand the role of freedom, that freedom is necessary for giving. What I'm talking about is an interior freedom. I'm not talking about laws. I'm talking about our interior freedom. That self-mastery and self-dominion, as Pope St. John Paul II refers to it, that we need to have self-possession over ourselves in order to give of ourselves, understanding our weaknesses, our temptations, our limitations. He says freedom makes possible and qualifies the spousal meaning of the body. That is the gift of self. And so next week, we're going to further unpack how freedom is necessary for living out that gift of self and the theology of the body that is our human anthropology. Catch a summary of our Theology of the Body series at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. It'll be posted tomorrow.